Folks, I want to welcome you all to On the Edge with K.A. Owens. I'm K.A. Owens, and we are broadcasting from the top of the Habern Building in Louisville, Kentucky. This is 106.5 FM Forward Radio, and you can find out more about our station if you go to forwardradio.org. And we're uh, live streaming now, so if you go to that station, click on a button, you can listen to us anywhere in the city, anywhere in the state, anywhere in the country, anywhere in the world. Again, this is On the Edge with K.A. Owens. I'm K.A. Owens, and we've got a great guest here with us today. We've got activist organizer Shelton McElroy here with us today. Say hello to the people, Shelton. Hey, hey, hey. Thanks. Glad to be here at 4 Radio. Join with K.A. Thank you for the invitation, brother. So, now, Shelton, you've uh, worked on a variety of issues, but one of the things you've uh, worked on is, is jail reform, prison reform, and, and as part of that, you've done some traveling all across the country, and also to, to Europe, as, as a matter of fact. And you've just got back from Norway, and, uh, of course, the Scandinavian countries are in the news today because uh, a bunch of them are joining NATO, but uh, 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 that's not what we're here to talk about today. You went to Norway because... Yeah, yeah. Thank you, K.A. It was good to bump into you the other evening and kind of overview what my trip was about. Uh, The Norwegians, uh, interesting enough, have one of the most humane institutions of incarceration in the world. Um, Considering the state of incarceration, they have a principle called normalcy, that everything about your stay after the suppression of your freedom should be as close to normal as possible. And the way that manifests itself is that you still have uh, multiple weekly conjugal visits with your uh, partners, significant others. Uh, You get to cook uh, food in your dorm that you take to those visits. Uh, They have uh, where you can actually request uh, overnight stays with your children and family in which you stay in a house that's on site uh, with your loved ones, prepare meals, hang out, play, and uh, spend quality uh, family time. Uh, And so those are just a few of the obvious differences. A couple more. One, uh, they have no gun towers or no kind of firearms anywhere in close proximity even to the jails and prisons. Um, And when asked about that, they also, their police officers don't carry firearms. And I know that we're in the middle of... um, you know, one of the worst catastrophic shootings in the United States history. Um, and as a nation, we are transfixed and addicted uh, to the state of pandemonium to firearms. And so uh, the Scandinavian uh, people over in Norway have found um, have found a way to live without uh Firearms being in such close proximity to each and every single person that uh, small children are um, destroyed uh, by means of them. And, and so uh, I learned a lot on my trip in Norway, uh, obvious differences in the way they construct institutions, uh, Halden Prison, which I started my trip out viewing uh, was a prison behind walls 
and inside the walls was a forest and the buildings of the institution set amongst the forest and they saw that as a therapeutic opportunity for people to walk and um and in be immersed in forestry although their freedom was suppressed um in fact the warden said quite often when people come to tour one of the questions that they pose to him is what about the trees he turns around and he says to them what about the trees what are they going to do to a tree how is a tree going to hurt anything um and we know you know from tons of science uh the natural benefits of nature and immersion in nature and so i think the norwegians are just being intentional about that infrastructure another institution i went to was on bastoy island and on bastoy island it's this majestic beautiful island uh that you take a ferry uh from Oslo, Norway to Bastoy. And uh multiple beaches on the island. Some of the beaches are public. Uh those that are incarcerated on the island have their own beach. Um and what was interesting, I think that was really kind of a an obvious metaphor for the entire country's institutions was there had been some fox that when the fjord had frozen over had found their way on Bastoy Island about 10 or 12 years ago and while i was there i fed the fox from my hands because the fox have become very domesticated there uh and i think it speaks to tranquility that even in an institution such as a prison you could have it become so tranquil that wild animals such as fox will come up and eat out of your hand uh their community i was riding back on the ferry from our tour and there was an officer and i looked at the officer and i said uh sir how was your day and he said i had a great day and i could only imagine being in that kind of proximity with an American corrections officer and asking them about their day in an American institution um it, it, because I'm a person who's been locked up uh I know that their response would have been different it wouldn't have been about a great day it would be about how great they are glad that they're off and rid of that place uh what brings us to study the Norwegian model by way of a mend a mend is a group out of University of Southern California San Francisco and they are medical doctors and what these medical doctors started doing research about was not the persons incarcerated in the prison in the United States as well as in Norway but they started doing research about the corrections officers in the United States and in contrast to the corrections officers in Norway one of the few data points one of the many data points they found was that corrections officers in the US have a life expectancy after retirement of less than 5 years i'll say that again 
Corrections officers in the U.S. have a life expectancy after retirement of less than five years. That was one of the most dismal outcomes, but there were also a plethora of others, such as domestic violence, drug addiction, alcoholism, hypertension, high blood pressure, diabetes, etc., 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 suicide ideation, domestic violence. It just goes on and on. The negative outcomes that corrections officers experience in the United States is a catastrophic pandemic. And these researchers found that evidenced and are trying to find a solution by researching and studying the Norwegian model where corrections officers are not being impacted negatively. The reason they're not, some of the obvious things, corrections officers there uh, attend college for three years. They typically have the same qualifications and credentials as a social worker, along with static security that's provided by them as a correction officer. Their roles and responsibilities in Norway uh, transcend the roles and responsibilities of corrections in the United States by tenfold. Their objective, you got a 1 to 30 ratio of corrections officers to incarcerated people in Norway. Their objective with that 1 to 30 is modeling support, case manage, and plan for reentry. Like laser-focused, intentional about each and every single one of the incarcerated people's strategic plan for reentering community. They say like this, from the very first day, they're concerned about what kind of neighbor you're going to be when you come home and how you can be the best neighbor possible. And they invest in that. They invest in that from the people incarcerated to the people responsible for securing the facilities as well as for engaging with people that are incarcerated. They make a steep investment. College is 100% accessible to people incarcerated. Trades, 100% accessible. Employment, 100% accessible. Access in multiple instances to outside community, whether it's outside jobs, whether it's conjugal visits and going home on weekend passes, they value, amplify, uplift, reconnect, and maintain connections in the family structure because they see that as the number one prevention for recidivism. So, okay, I'll just throw that out there and, 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 and whatever kind of questions you ask, I'll attempt to answer them. But that, that was a, a snippet of my experience there. Well, thank you for, uh, one, for taking the trip and also being willing to come back and share what you have seen, heard, and learned. Uh, the United States, uh, you know, the wealthiest country in the world, more people locked up than any other civilized country for some reason seems to believe in traumatizing uh, people who have been locked up for a crime, uh, further traumatizing. That is, in other words, people stacked up on top of each other, overcrowded, uh, 
uh, unclean, unsanitary conditions, bad food, bad climate control, uh, sometimes providing educational opportunities, but if the mood, public mood changes, taking educational opportunities away, sometimes allowing prisoners to develop, sometimes not. Uh, but a policy of, of, of cruelty, as if that's what people need and deserve when people are locked up, and it's it's never really worked. Uh, I mean, there's no reason for the United States to have as many people locked up as it does, and to treat them the way that it does because it doesn't benefit society. So, what can we do? Uh, what can we do to persuade people that what what we've been doing uh, for a couple of years just doesn't work? Uh, in the main. Yeah, I, I mean, I, th I think you capture it uh, when you mention cruelty. Um, you know, cruelty is the point, right? Uh, we are fixated with this idea of punishment. I, I returned from my trip, and I, I, I recall sitting down with people that are uh, you know, what you would just consider um, uh, a citizen of the United States. And as I would riddle off to them the various differences, uh, they were in awe. And then you saw different twinkles of lights go off in their imagination. And one um, community member said, oh, I don't want them to be able to have sex. And I said, but sex is natural. And they said, yeah, I know, but if they had hurt somebody, killed somebody in my family, I wouldn't want them to be able to have sex. So I went on to tell them my own experience of cruelty in prison and how we've created conditions that perpetuate violent rape in prisons. Conditions that perpetuate disproportionate high levels of HIV contraction in prisons in black communities that our current construct has created such a violent climate cruelty is the point it is encouraged it is built in the fabric and the structure keeping in mind our current system is the vestiges of enslavement the whipping post the hoe cages constructed in similar form as ships that brought African enslaved people through the Middle Passage. And so we find ourselves in the United States deeply invested in the construct from enslavement. And it's doing exactly what it was designed to do cruelty and now that cruelty is also destroying poor 
working class, blue collar folks that the only investment in their community are prisons and jails. There are limited job opportunities for them and they see the potential for benefits, insurance, educational opportunities through work, a living wage to some degree. They take these jobs only to have the same cruel conditions turn around and destroy their health. Psychological, emotional, and physical. So we know, we need to know as a general public that we are culpable in the perpetuation of harm to our poor. When we did such with coal mines, we realized the physical destruction, we started putting in regulations. When we did so in steel mills, right? We even created a weekend, a holiday, to prevent people from having perpetuated negative outcomes that did labor. And the research is proven the decimation of human beings that work in prisons. I, I, I mean, I'm not even saying have a heart for those that are incarcerated. I get that everything about our socialization has told us that punishment is the cure-all. And I'm not even challenging that, although I completely, unequivocally disagree. I'm simply asking you, the general public, did you also intend to punish the very people you would employ in those institutions? And if that wasn't your intent, it is still the outcome. And if it wasn't your intent, but it's still the outcome, you don't get a hall pass. Because it wasn't your intention. Outcomes are outcomes. You're destroying the labor. You're destroying a class of people. They're dying. If you invest in infrastructure and systems that regard the humanity of all people, you will then turn around and honor the humanity of the people you hire to manage those institutions. So a lot of the people who are end up in jails and prisons, their lives before that have been very traumatic. And so it doesn't help them to be placed through more trauma in jails and prisons. And also, it doesn't help if they don't get good medical care if they've never had good medical care before. That is, if 
the state is going to take responsibility for someone. They need to make sure that they have good dental care. They can go to a doctor. They can call a nurse. That's privatizing it just to avoid uh, uh, paying very much for it doesn't work. Because the goal would be uh, any intelligent society for people to come out better than when they went in. That is more stable, more normal, with more skills, with more social skills, uh, in a better frame of mind than when they went in, not worse. And as far as, uh, you know, as you mentioned, uh, conjugal, uh, you know, know, sex is just a normal part of, of life. And so... Uh, you want people to feel normal. So if they can have people come in for conjugal visits or even make sure people get good medical care, if prisoners are going to, you know, quote, unquote, date each other, they should have good medical care so they could prevent the the uh, uh, the spread of various diseases. So uh, it would actually uh, calm people down, as a matter of fact, if uh, sex were just a normal part of life uh, in prison, it would help calm people down. It would help stabilize uh, the situation. Uh, and if, you know, long-term prisoners, if, uh, uh, you know, you could actually have dances between the men's and the women's prisons and, you know, uh, set it up so that it would be a stable uh, situation. Uh, uh, normality, as uh, they say in, uh, in Norway. Uh, but especially with uh, 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 sort of job training, uh, uh, education, uh, just ability to read and write and comprehend at a 12th grade level uh, and have that's a calming influence in, in, in itself, just learning, uh, reading. Uh, learning math, uh, memorizing multiplication tables, uh, learning to fix something, to repair something, uh, even if it's shoes. Uh, it's very calming. Uh, last night I had a pair of track shoes that uh, could have thrown away, but I got some shoe goo and glued the soles back together, put rubber bands around them, and, uh, you know, I'll be mowing the lawn in them next week, you know. And so those this, those types of things are very calming for people. Uh, uh, writing. Writing. Uh, uh, theater in prison, uh, writing plays, short stories, journaling, uh, uh, having sentences corrected, uh, learning to speak uh, a standard English uh, so that one can communicate with uh, mainstream society, uh, 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 learning to do simple math, uh, uh, and if you've got time, algebra, what better way to spend in prison, ge- geometry, all of those things that one never had an opportunity to learn on the outside because one was so busy uh, scuffling, uh, uh, you know, and trying to make a dollar doing what, whatever. Uh, uh, so it's not that people in prison can't learn. They've never had the opportunity. Uh, so... Uh, uh, there's so many brains, top minds. There are people in prison that could be doctors, lawyers, and engineers. Uh, uh, if only they had the opportunity. Uh, 
computer languages. I mean, once you get people past uh, basic math and English, folks could be learning com- computer languages because they got plenty of free time to learn it. Uh, so, uh, uh, COBOL, Fortran, uh, whatever the, uh, those are probably old computer languages. Whatever the hottest computer language is now, you know, there's always a new one. But those are the type of things that people could, could be doing. And uh, studying morality and ethics where, while living in a moral and ethical situation. Because there are people out here in high places in society that have very little grasp of uh, morality and ethics. Uh, so it's a possible that people could come out of jail not only better than when they went in, but with a better grip on right and wrong than some of the people who are in high places in society now. Uh of course, that, that bar is not so high, but uh, 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 that's the way it could be. So, uh, so Shelton, uh, uh, what's the best way, you think, to uh, educate uh, people here about a better way to do things? So, I mean, I think the opportunity with traveling to see the Norwegian model and and, and everybody's probably not going to get the opportunity to travel and see it. But I think uh, there's lots of video content. There's lots of uh, production around their uh, their model. Uh, we took officers from California State as well as officers from North Dakota and Washington State, uh, union reps from corrections officers from all three of those states came out to Norway to view the model. I think it's I think the initial step is for us to realize what we're doing is not effective, that if what we're doing, is creating more desolation and destruction, we have to stop doing it. As a society, we have to demand. Listen, man, there's no industry in America that if you're producing bad results, you just keep doing it. If you're the auto industry, if you're the food industry, any industry... If you just keep producing bad results, you don't just keep doing it. Even industries that have a monopoly don't just keep doing it. They try to tweak to get good outcomes. Our corrections, by the numbers, without any exception, throughout the United States of America, has done bad numbers whether it's recidivism numbers for people coming out and going back, or whether it's the numbers of the officers and their health outcomes for those that work in the institutions. The numbers are deplorable, dismal. It's not working. We can't keep doing what doesn't work. And so it's interesting, too, as far as people getting a second chance in California. They use a lot of prisoners and firefighters as firefighters, but uh, when they get out, they're not allowed to uh, become uh, federal firefighters because uh, they use a lot of firefighters out there out west because they have so many fires. So uh, some of the rules need to be changed. So, for instance, if a prisoner has been fighting fires for a few cents, 
uh, when that prisoner gets out, they ought to be able to uh, fight fires for a few dollars more, you know, either on the state or federal payroll. Uh, uh, so the state of Kentucky also has a forestry, a firefighting forestry at Lee County Correctional Complex. It's been there for 20-plus years. Uh, in fact, there are fires that happen in eastern Kentucky mountains, and those incarcerated persons help to fight those fires. And by policy, when they get out, all of that training that they've taken and all of those skills are of no value because they're not going to be gainfully employed in any way, shape, or form to fight fires. And California, there's a lot of organizing going on in California. It's just a new bill passed in the past couple of years that does start to give people the opportunity to, to participate in that way. Folks, we want to thank Shelton McElroy for being here with us today. Uh, thank you so much, Shelton, for all, the, all that you do. Uh, this is On the Edge with K.A. Owens, and uh, we will be back next week. Shelton, thank you so much. Thank you, brother. Thank you very much. Folks, you've been listening to On the Edge with K.A. Owens. This is K.A. Owens, and remember, you can find out more about us on Forward Radio. Dot org. Thank you so much.